Hi everyone, I'm Brendan from Sharesies, a wealth development platform that gives someone with $5 and someone with $5 million the same investment opportunities. You're listening to The Sum of It, a series where I'm joined by experts to answer investing questions of all sizes so you feel more empowered to grow your wealth. But first, we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island cultures and to elders past, present and emerging. We are recording on Gadigal country and acknowledge that this land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. All investing involves risk. T's and C's and fees apply for the use of the platform provided by Sharesies Limited. This podcast is created by Sharesies AU PTY Limited as an authorised representative of Sandland Private Wealth PTY Limited. AF cell number 337927. The information discussed today is general in nature and is not financial advice. We've been bringing you some bonus episodes featuring the wonderful Victoria Divine. For this final episode, we talked about exchange-traded funds or ETFs, rebalancing your portfolio, including when to pull out of an investment, and how fees can actually be a good thing. That seems counterintuitive, right? Trust me, it'll all make sense. Let's get into it. ETFs, exchange-traded funds. So we've had a few questions about those. So ETFs are often a really usual part of someone's investing journey when they first start out. And we had a bit of a webinar at the end of last year and saw that ETFs are still by by far the most popular investments on the on the Sharesies platform. And there's so many of them, thousands and thousands. I just wanted to ask you, Victoria, based on all of those ETF options out there, how do you even start? How, how do you even think about what to invest in? <laughs> okay, so what you do is you just go and pick fund XYZ. And I think that's what people want me to say, right? They just want to be told what ETF to purchase or what asset to go and buy. And I think that we can get analysis paralysis. Even looking at this list, you've just listed, what, 10 mm. different types of ETFs. Yes. And that goes, oh, hold on, that's the most popular buy in value. And, oh, that's how, how many people are picking this. And you can see easily that the Vanguard Australian Shares Index ETF is, is high on that list. And you go, well, maybe that's the one for me. Scrap that. Put it all in the bin and go back to your values. Go and sit down and go, well, if I'm investing, what's the point? Why am I investing? What am I trying to achieve? In a perfect world, if I was to go and select an ETF, and we all know that an ETF, an exchange traded fund, is basically like a basket of shares that gives us instant diversification. What do I want that to be made up of? You might go, oh, I'm really... I'm really into the tech space. I'd really like a lot of tech companies. Or you might go, oh, I don't really know. Maybe a good range of just good Australian shares would do do for me. Or maybe I really want like global ethical companies. So I think thinking about what that looks like first and having a chat to yourself about what that's made up of is going to be essential. The next thing is to talk about or think about whether you're an ethical investor or not. Is it important to you that some things aren't included in your portfolio? This can be quite topical because there's no actual one definition of what ethical means to another person. It's actually quite personal. You can go down the route of having having a portfolio that's, quote, green or clean or whatever we want to call it, but I would have a look at it and make sure that it aligns to your values. The next thing is risk. How much risk are you taking on? Have you actually done a risk profile for yourself? Are ETFs even the thing that you should be putting your money in? Because the the thing with the risk and reward chart is the more risk you take on, the higher the potential reward, right? 
but you might be really far down on that risk reward chart and the type of asset that suits you might actually be a bond or or a term deposit or something that is a lot more conservative because maybe when it comes to risk you're not ready to actually jump out there and go straight into an ETF. So if you understand risk and what you're willing to take on, I think that puts you in a far more powerful position because when it comes to risk and return, if you're a more conservative investor, well, a more conservative asset would be an Australian ETF as opposed to a global ETF. Mm -hmm. so we really need to think about these things and then go back to the drawing board. And what this does for us is kind of creates a reverse triangle and you kind of start at the top and it's like a funnel. You go, I've got all of these options. Oh, okay. I do want it to be ethical and it gets a little bit, a little bit skinnier. And then you go, yeah, actually, I think I do want it to be in Australia. That's what I want. And it gets a little bit smaller again. And then you go, all right, well, what type of company do I want to go for? What kind of like, you know, do I want to go for a Vanek or a Vanguard? Or are we talking, you know, iShares or beta shares? Like, what are we looking for? Do I want maybe a really left field ETF created that no one's ever heard of? No, I probably want something a little bit more, you know, stock standard that is tried and true and tested. And it gets smaller and smaller. So then when you do go to look for an ETF that aligns to your values, you actually end up with three or four options that make sense. And you pick from those instead of looking at what everybody else is doing. Good points and jump on. We've got we've got a few blogs on on how you choose an ETF, and I know that you've done a lot of great work on that too, Victoria. So you don't don't feel overwhelmed by the choice, everyone. But like Victoria said, kind of systematically go through and, and look at it that, that way. I wish I could so just tell you and say, all right, Brendan, this is the perfect asset for you. But that involves some very serious thought. It involves yeah. a whole finance document. Like it involves creating a statement of advice and understanding what are your goals? What are your plans? What are your ethics? What are your values? What are we trying to create? How much money do you have? All of those things. So I think it's interesting as well because even a financial advisor, when I was working as an advisor, there was no one go-to product that I'd put every yeah. single client in. Like I wouldn't go, all right, well, guess everybody's getting the Vanguard Australian shares ETF because you're all about this age. It would really depend on who they were and what that meant to them and how that would work. So I think that's a good piece of information to know as well because I think people automatically assume well, a broker or a financial advisor would have this information. They're just gatekeeping it and it's just yeah. not the case like it's it's not how it works we actually just need to find the asset that works for us the best so let's get on to q a and if we don't get a chance to answer your questions today we'll pop pop the answers to most of the popular ones and social so so apologies up front if we don't don't get you cool victoria yes let me get started lord's the hardest question i've got here Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. A good, a good one about platform fees. So lots of different platforms out there, lots of different types of fee structures. How do you go about evaluating <clears throat> those platform fees? What's a good fee? How do you choose? What do you look for? Yeah. So when it comes to platform fees, I feel like I feel like I'm a little bit opinionated on this because I do genuinely believe if you play peanuts, you're going to get monkeys. So we actually do want to pay fees and every platform that exists has spent a lot of time working out what their fee needs to be to cover administration, make sure the business keeps running, make sure that their people get paid and that you're getting the service that you deserve. So it's usually something along the lines of 
it's either a set fee or it's a percentage per trade. We need to take into consideration the lots of different fees that could exist. So are you paying brokerage per transaction? Is it a monthly fee? What does this actually look like? But from my perspective, fees are something that we take into consideration, but it's not the be all end all. Like the platforms that I exist on and I do invest on shares as you guys already know, I look at it and go, okay, no worries. Like that makes sense for that. It just changes the way that I invest. So if I want wanted to invest every single week and I go, wow, like I'll be paying brokerage on that. Well, that doesn't make sense to put money into the market every single week. What I might do instead is just pop it in a savings account until I have a certain amount and then make one trade so that I'm making the most of that brokerage fee. And that's that's important to understand as well, because I think a lot of people, when we're talking about dollar cost averaging, they assume that fees mean that oh, it's silly, like I can't dollar cost average. But you can actually dollar cost average quarterly. Like you could do it once every six months. The plan isn't to have every single day as an investment day. It's actually just to make sure that we're always in the market at different points in time and that we're always consistently contributing. And that might be over a different period of time. In my second book, Investing with She's on the Money, you guys have already seen this, but for those of you who haven't read my book, I actually do a fee breakdown of the different platforms and what their fees are and what their their benefits are because I find, and you guys probably see this a lot as well, I find that a lot of people are comparing apples with oranges. Like they might go, here's this micro investing platform, their fees, and oh my gosh, look at Sharesy's fees. And you're like, that's not comparing apples with apples. Like that's a micro investing platform versus a DIY investing platform. So I think that we really need to work out what we are doing and then whether we're getting value out of it or not. But as I said before, genuinely believe if you pay peanuts you're very likely to get monkeys and fees are not the be all end all it's actually about ultimate return yeah and other uh, some some platforms have like a minimum investment so you need at least 500 dollars, or you know we can invest from one cent so there's lots of different things now fees are 1.9 percent and we've got it capped at australia at six dollars so you'll never pay more than six dollars and but yeah, different platforms have a look at all of them, work out what suits what suits you know your needs. So lots of questions about what to invest in. We won't talk about specifics, but kind of again, you know, what do you what do you look at in a portfolio? So if you are getting on in your investment journey, you think, yeah, I kind of understand diversification, risk. You know, what other things should you look at when you're creating that portfolio for yourself? Your risk profile, a million times over your risk profile because your risk profile is kind of like, it's kind of like a pie chart, right? And we draw this pie chart and it might be empty right now, but you go, Brendan, and you do your risk profile and you come out as a, a really conservative investor. That means that your pie chart is going to be divided up into maybe like 25% Australian shares, maybe 25% international shares. You might have then some bonds and then like there might be a large portion of cash as a suggestion in your investment portfolio. And so, diversification comes in a lot of different ways. So obviously if we're buying Australian shares, we want to make sure that we are diversified across Australian shares, but then there's also diversification inside our portfolio to make sure that we're meeting our risk profiles. So if you're a conservative investor, you might hold more cash than somebody who's an aggressive investor. And if you look at a high growth investor, for example, their portfolio, this is just all from memory, but their portfolio might be made up of 1% cash 
and then maybe 85% international and Australian shares as compared to a conservative investor. So when it comes to portfolio construction and like what should we pick, it actually really depends on what you already have and whether that aligns to your risk profile. So are we adding Australian shares because you already own some international? Do you already own an investment property? So you're actually a really saturated in investment property and you probably should add some, some shares. Do you have a really high amount of cash, but you keep coming out as an aggressive investor? What do we need to change there? Is it actually about mindset? Is it about where we're going and how we're going to achieve that? So when it comes to portfolio construction, it actually comes down to who you are and what you want to create. And I really wish I could sit down and tell everybody, this is what you need to do. This is how to do it. It's just not the case though, because one Australian ETF might have a different risk profile than another Australian ETF. Like no no investment is made equal. It just really depends on what you want to create and how you want to create it. So I think once you can really comprehend that, you actually get given this, you know, your risk profile and you have a pie chart and you go, all right, well, let's start there. What my portfolio is telling me or what my risk profile is telling me is that I need to have 50-50. I need to have half international shares with a little bit more risk and half Australian shares. Let's start looking there. And you might go, all right, now what asset do I want? Do I want direct shares? And you might go, no, Brendan, direct shares are a little bit too risky because to actually get good diversification, I need like a hundred grand. I need to be able to go out and buy, you know, $10,000 worth of NAB and $10,000 worth of this and that to actually create a well-diversified portfolio, but through an ETF, I can get instant diversification. Okay, well, maybe I'll pick an ETF that works for me and my risk profile and my values and my goals, and we'll call that the Australian portion. So I think when it comes to portfolio construction and like, how do we make that? It's going to be really different depending on who you are and what you personally want to do. I mean, I've got a bit of a hot tip about portfolio. So I think someone who will remain nameless, my husband, is on charities and is investing in, you know, 10 to 15 different ETFs and really excited about that. And I said, well, you're investing in 10 to 15 ETFs. Do you know what's in each of those ETFs? Because actually you're not really getting diversification because if those ETFs are based in Australia, it's all the same companies. Yeah. And so there is that kind of thing like, you know, think about think about it because diversification is really important in a portfolio like you say every portfolio is kind of personal but it's things that things that you're you know you're interested in that match your values but also be careful like look into those details you can have a look in every etf and see their top holdings all their holdings in in fact and kind of why they do that so that's important to to do as well don't just think because you've got lots of things that that's necessarily the greatest greatest thing on the platform you know the average holdings of people with maybe three or four ETFs and then some companies that they that people particularly like or or are interested in there's not people with with a lot of lot of holdings so it's kind of a handful ish so look and rebalancing so you set up your portfolio you do all the hard work you think about your risk profile and all that sort of good stuff when should you look at rebalancing it and what is rebalancing So rebalancing is making sure that your portfolios 
assets are still returning what the plan was. So rebalancing is kind of just a process that you go through. And I recommend that people do it maybe once every 12 months. You don't need to do it all the time. Maybe once every 12 months, if nothing's really changed about your life or about the market, then maybe every two years. But it's essentially a process of returning the values of a portfolio's asset allocations to the levels that were defined by that investment plan. So if you had a a portfolio and the plan was to have 25% in Australian ETFs and then you wanted to have 25% in global ETFs, over time, if you're consistently investing that $50 a month, it's going to be added to something. And it's going to go somewhere and you might be picking randomly. You might be picking, you know, just the Australian ones. Maybe Australia is a little bit better as a market. So you're like, let's just chuck it in there. It's a bit discounted at the moment. So then you go in and you might find that your ETFs are now sitting at 30% Australian and it's now 20% international. Rebalancing is making sure we go, all right, does that that make sense for me? Or should I revert back to what the original percentages were to make sure that I always have not only good diversification, but a good balance across the portfolio so that I'm still adhering to my risk profile. So rebalancing is really important. I think that a lot of people make it seem really confusing because they're like, oh, you need a financial advisor to rebalance. That's not actually the case. It actually is just going back to your values and what you were trying to create and achieve in the first place and making sure that portfolio is still on track to do that for you. And yeah, that, that's basically it. It doesn't have to be this really hard process, but yeah, it's basically realigning the weighting of a portfolio's assets to make sure it's in line with your original plan. Cool. And then one last question, and this is one I struggle with all the time. If, if something that you've purchased is not going so well, so it's underperforming a little bit, but you understand the time value and being in the market and all that sort of stuff. When, what sort of circumstances would you consider to sell that underperforming ETF for company share? Yeah, look, I would be going, all right, if my share is underperforming over six months, probably going to leave it and see what happens. I'm also going to do some research and understand why that's the case. So I think a lot of the time we freak out and we don't do anything because, oh my God, it's performing really badly. Let's zoom out a little bit. What's happening in the economy? Are we headed towards a recession? Because that could be a really big indicator as to why our portfolio might not be, you know, working in the way that it is. At which point you might go, all right, well, maybe I don't need to dispose of this. Over time, though, if you have picked a, a share that you're like, oh, this is a pretty good punt or this is a pretty good idea, I'm not really sure, you know, long term, you might pick a share and then ultimately decide to pull out of it after doing your research and realising that it doesn't adhere to your values anymore. They might have had a company restructure that you don't really agree with. They might have sold to another business that doesn't align to your values. They might have done a lot of different things, but the key here is actually research and looking into it and not just going, well, hasn't performed for 12 months. I'm going to dip out of it. And there's an example of this actually in my personal portfolio. I'm not telling you which share it is, but in my personal portfolio where I had so much conviction because I obviously I'm quite conservative but I do have a portion of my investment portfolio where I like to have a little bit of a fun with right so given I am in the markets every day sometimes I hear about things that I'm like oh that would be a little bit of fun I'm gonna have a bit of a punt so I jump on shares and I purchase it and I waited and waited and waited and it wasn't performing and it was making me really sad because I thought it was going to perform Anyway, I was like, maybe this just isn't going where I thought it was going to go. Maybe I do need to cut my losses and just give up. Like, I just don't want to hold something for this long. 
So instead of doing that, I went and read their annual report and their CEO had actually been really sick and everything had been put on hold for a while. So obviously the business wasn't growing in the way that I had anticipated it to. I've held on to it and now it has recovered and I'm very happy that I stayed in it. But had I not done that research, I would have found myself in a position where I exited an asset that Mm. ultimately I didn't understand the reason why it was performing the way it was performing. So if a share's not going well, uh, yeah, I think that there's there's a lot that you can do, but ultimately I would be making sure I understand the market and what's going on in the economy. I understand the bigger picture and that you're not just being a little bit trigger happy or being triggered by anxiety or being scared of the market. And then at that point you can go, you know what, maybe this isn't performing for me well. The interesting thing there is usually this question only comes up around direct shares because when it comes to an ETF's performance, an Mm. ETF usually has somebody running that ETF to make sure that if something in it isn't performing well, they're going to boot it out on your behalf. And that's one of the values or one of the benefits of being in an ETF or a fund where there is a manager whose job it is to make sure that performance happens. So I think that there's, yeah, there's obviously benefits to being a direct investor if that's what's in line with your values, but there are also so many benefits to going into an ETF that makes sense for you. Although saying that, I had an ETF that was not going very well and I hung on to it a little bit longer than I should have. Did you boot it in the end? I did. The good thing about investments which go down is it's a tax loss. That's how I justified it to myself. And I learned learned a lot during the way. 100% and tax losses can be carried forward guys I'm not an accountant whenever we talk about tax I have to disclaim that but not an accountant but you can carry forward your losses so that they can be offset to any profit that you make in the future so as much as it sucks and I mean we don't want to be losing heaps and heaps of money but like we can use it in the future to make sure we're paying less tax on the money that we do make. Hmm. It's a little gift. Taught me a lot of things that one. Little gift. A little negative yeah. gift. That's right. A backhanded well, like, compliment. That's right. Exactly. Well, I could talk to you all day, Victoria, but I'm afraid our time's up. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today over the break. Lots of questions there. Cool. Thanks, everyone. See you. Big thanks to Victoria Devine and her amazing insights. If you'd like to know more, follow us on Instagram or Facebook to stay up to date with the latest webinars. And if you're keen to know more about investing, head to sharesies.com.au where we have lots of great resources under our Learn section. Thanks for listening.